Today I'm in the Come Alive series. We're looking at the book of Colossians. We're at the end of chapter one. And I've entitled this sermon, Who is Jesus to You? Turn to someone right now and say, Who is Jesus to you? All right? I can give you a quick answer. It's gotta be quick though. Well, there were false teachers in the city of Colossae here. And Paul is writing to tell the Colossians, be careful, don't listen to them. You know, they were, they were given a message that Jesus was important. Isn't that interesting? They were saying, well, he's a good teacher, and um, he's probably a spirit, and it's interesting that the Gnostics called him a spirit. Now, this is, this is maybe more information than you want, but I hope it's not wasted. They thought he was spirit and an angel, so they were giving him, uh, you know, importance, but they wouldn't give him preeminence as uh, man and God, the deity, who was the, they would say he was a Lord, but they wouldn't say he was the Lord. And that is a dangerous message when you say he's one of many gods and you can take your pick. That sounds a little bit like today, doesn't it? In our society where people are saying, well, there are many roads that lead to God. And uh, it's true, there are many roads that lead to God, uh, but all of them will end at a throne in front of Jesus Christ, uh, where you bow your knee to him and every, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That's where those other roads will lead us to a throne of judgment to the one true God. And Paul was saying, don't buy in to that nonsense, it's heresy. He's not just prominent, he is preeminent. He is the one true way, he is God. And we think of that, and maybe many of you as believers today would say, well, hey, I, I know he's the one true God. But I want to ask you, you know, they would take him off the throne in one way, but sometimes Christians, we take him off the throne too by saying, we believe your Lord, but I don't want to give you this spot. So you can be Lord over most of my life, but not all of my life. Well, Lord, just the very word is an indication that he'd be over everything if he's Lord, Right? And, and so we have to look at our lives, even though we may not think like that, and say, do I, do I allow Jesus to be Lord over every area of my life? Meaning, when you know the way of Christ and you don't follow it, is he, is he really your Lord? How do you view Jesus? What's your relationship with him? Are you trying to lead him or is he leading you? Look at this video as you ask that question. Jesus, sorry I'm late, work was crazy today. No, don't get up, it's okay. Uh, yeah, just got a little bit behind. People are being crazy, you know. That's no problem, Chuck, I'm just glad. Uh, I'm glad I made it too. Listen, let's get down to business. I have a lot of work here, a lot of requests. First things first, pastor and his wife are at a conference. Keep them safe. Um, I'm not a fan of the assistant pastor. The less he preaches, the better. Uh, what else? Ralph, his wife, is getting a tattoo removed. It's a stupid college party way back when. You know how those things go. It's in a real painful spot. I'm not a fan of football here, but my friend is. And if I could have two tickets to take him to show him how cool I am so he'd be my friend some more, that'd be great. My dog Nibbles has a gimp leg. Chimney crickets. You know, now that I'm thinking, I could use a new jacket. I'm getting fuzzies all in this one. Please bless my sister, my mother, my father. Our father who art in heaven, my neighbor, Cindy. Hallowed be thy name. Can you sort of train my church to clap on two and four, please? One and three, this is not disco, people. This is serving the Lord. The guy who brings in my shopping cart from the thing. 
Something I can do to get a raise. Can you read what I wrote here? I think I was, I was dreaming. Plus the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Agriculture, the Secretary of Secretaries, bless their secretaries. Thy kingdom, thy kingdom come. And that's what bothers me about my mother. <laughs> hey, look at the time there. That's, uh, uh got to get going there. Jesus going to wrap this up and say amen. Amen. Uh, it's been a pleasure praying with you. It's fine evening. I'll be talking with you. Have a good day. Are we serving him or is he serving us in our perspective? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would uh, help us today. <clears throat> we need your Holy Spirit to reveal truth and it's your truth that sets us free. Jesus, you are Lord, you are love, and you want to lead us to the best place. So come now and touch our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Three things today as we look at this second part of Colossians 1. First is this, have you acknowledged that Jesus is the Savior? Perhaps most of you have, but maybe, maybe some of you haven't. And uh, if, if you have, you, you at least need to have some thoughts about helping other people figure that out. So uh, th this hopefully will be an encouragement to you as, you as you reach out to others. Colossians 1 says this, verse 13, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. That word transferred is kind of unique. You don't see that a lot about Jesus. So it uniquely shows up here. Well, did you know that for the Colossians, because God always hits us where we're at, they had had wars in their past, and the history records the fact that Antichus the Great transported, there's the word transferred, it comes, uh, transported at least 2,000 Jews from Babylonia to Colossae. So after a war, they transferred people from one spot to another. And so Jesus is using terminology for the Colossians that they, they can get it. He's saying, you remember how you were transferred from one city to another? Well, I'm gonna transfer you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And I'm gonna bring forgiveness to you. In this case, there were losers that were transferred and sent to another uh, city for the Colossians. But God's saying, I'm gonna take you and make you winners by transferring you to the kingdom of light and forgiving your sins. Man <clears throat> was God's creation and sinned against him in the garden. But not only did Adam and Eve sin, the Bible says all have sinned, all of us, and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin separates us from a holy God. He's so altogether holy, he cannot cohabitate with sin. It appears to be a dilemma, doesn't it? That the God of love who created us to worship him, to work with him, to walk with him, now is separated from us because we are sinful and he can't be in the presence of sin. He can't cohabitate with it. And so he made a way for our guilt and our sin to be removed by sending Jesus to pay the price for sin in the Old Testament. To pay a price. And, and it really, this is the way the Bible says it, to appease the wrath of God against sin there was a sacrifice that would be made. God doesn't like sin, why? Well, when you look at the rapists and the murderer and the liars and the thief and the cheats and what they do to people around them and how 
painful and hurtful that is, doesn't it make sense that God doesn't like sin? That he's just and he doesn't want to see people hurt and he's altogether good. So he says, I- I'm not going to allow that to be, to, be near, uh, to be near me because I am altogether holy, loving, and good. And, and, and he had wrath against it, so he said there has to be a price that will be paid so the wrath can be appeased for that sin. In the Old Testament, they would slay an animal. Sometimes it'd be a turtle dove, sometimes a goat, and it sounds gross, but they would literally shed the blood and it would appease the wrath, the blood would. And Jesus became the supreme sacrifice once for all. God made a way. We're separated from him. How could we be reunited with him? He made a way through Jesus Christ where he would become the lamb that was slain, the Bible says, from the foundation of the earth. The one sacrifice forever for all. Jesus would pay the price as the wrath of God the Father would fall on his own son so it didn't fall on us. We were in danger. The word saved, when we say, what's that mean? You know, are you saved? <clears throat> this scripture tells us that, that we were delivered and rescued from, from danger. <clears throat> and we were in danger of spending eternity apart from God because we had sinned. And as sinners, we needed a savior. <clears throat> and God made this way. Verse 14, he purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. That word purchase means to release a prisoner by the payment of a ransom. So Jesus became the ransom for our sins. At the baptism of the transfiguration of Jesus in Matthew 3, you see the Father speaking audibly where all can hear, and he says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. I think that is a touching moment because it's a fact that reminds us of the price the Father's paid when he gave his Son Jesus for us. He loved his Son. John 3.35 says, the father loves his son and has put everything into his hands. And anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. Anyone who does not obey the son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. Let me talk about that for a moment. Uh, Today, there's a book out by a a preacher called Love Wins, and he, he pretty much is removing the whole judgment wrath thing. And uh, I think it's, it's, you know, the Bible says in the last days, preachers will preach to tickle the ears of people and tell them what they want to hear. And when you remove the judgment that is spoken of in the New Testament, you're removing a key component of the Bible. Because after all, who would want to be saved when there's no reason to be? Now, I know that there are people, and, and, it's, and it's hard to preach sometimes. You know, you have to have courage. There are people who say, I don't believe in a God who would judge people. Well, all I can say about that is you're not supposed to make up your own stuff. You can't create God because he created you. You, you can't change the word because the word is eternal. And so here's why I preach God's wrath against sin and God's judgment because I want people to know how great his love is. His love wants to rescue every one of us from sin, wants to rescue every one of us for eternal judgment in hell. And so he sent Jesus to pay the price so you and I wouldn't have to face judgment. That's what people don't understand. He doesn't want anyone to go to hell. Now I know there's a few Christians who seem to act like they'd like to see people going to hell. They, they, they're so mean-spirited 
that they, they, they seem to want to see people there someday. You know, I'm in, you're out, and I'm good, and you're bad. And it's just a terrible spirit. It's not the spirit of Christ. Christ came to rescue. But here's why I have to preach judgment, because it's all through the Bible. It's all through the New Testament. These are the words of Jesus Christ talking about judgment. And this is the gospel, and I can't remove the truth of the gospel from my message, even though the culture wants it. I know they won't like it when I speak it. But here's what I want you to know, that when you, it's not just me, it's you. When we share this message of the truth of Jesus Christ and the gospel, the Holy Spirit attends that message. It's not just words that are spoken. When you share the words of the Bible about God's wrath against sin and judgment that is to come, the Holy Spirit attends it. It's not mean, it's a message of love. He's trying to rescue. But it's true. And so I can't do what the culture wants me to do. I'm not here to be Mr. Popular. I sold my life to preach the truth that comes from this book. When the word and the name of Jesus is spoken. People get really mad. You ever notice that? And, and here's why. Because when that word and that message of the gospel and that salvation is spoken, the Holy Spirit attends it, people get saved. So doesn't it make sense that the culture, that the media that knows not God, that, that, people would, that the enemy would make sure that he had brought, marshaled all of his forces together to stop the name of Jesus from being spoken? and the truth of the gospel from being shared. Why? Because if it is, people get saved. So the devil comes with intimidating forces in our culture and other cultures as well across the world to say, don't say Jesus. Don't say salvation. Don't say judgment. Don't say wrath. Don't say that's all love. And they attack. But here's the deal. This is, all, this is what I, all I can tell you as a preacher. I can't get bumped off the message. I am focused it doesn't matter what they say or what they do because this is eternity that's on the line. The truth is, they can't be saved unless they know and they come. That's what the Bible says. And you can say what you will, but you can't erase these scriptures. The words of Christ, you can't change it even though you don't like it. You have to receive him. You can't make him receive your way. He's God. Matthew 13, 40, just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. This is Christ speaking. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Anyone who has ears to hear should listen and understand. Matthew 13, 44 talks about um, a man who was searching in a field and he found a great treasure. And he went and sold everything he had to come back and buy the field because the, the great treasure was there. He found the great treasure of life. The great treasure is Jesus Christ. I was at a memorial service yesterday and it was very, very sad. Someone died prematurely and, um, and, and it was, and a family was hurting and, and it's my extended family that was hurting. It was, it was just painful to watch. But as I drove away from there, I, 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 I thought this, I thought, you know, the real perspective in life is this is not our home. We are, we are just passing through. 
everything we do here for just a short season uh, will make an impact for eternity. The Bible says that when we bear fruit, we lay up treasures in heaven. And somehow it's real, it's tangible, that the good things we do for God here, the way we follow him, when the gospel's shared and, and we win souls, the Bible says he that wins souls is wise. Because you have this eternal perspective and, and, and we're just passing through and someday there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. But for now, for now, this is a battle. And it's not just, it's not just about paying the rent and you know, feeling good today. It's about eternity. It's on the line for people. And that eternal perspective is something we have to keep. And here's the deal. Of all the things in life, the great treasure is Jesus. So he has to be shared. People have to know they're coming, they're, they're, they're coming to the one true God who loves them and wants to forgive them and save them for eternity. And maybe you found the treasures, but others haven't. That treasure, I should say, and others haven't. I, uh, I've done a little geocaching in the last couple years. Any geocachers out there? there are a few, there's a few nerds with Karen and I that, that, uh, that geocache. You, 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 you put your, you join this little app on your phone and then you put, you know, the location in. And it'll show you where you go search and then somebody's hidden something and you find it, Right? So Karen, when she goes with other people, she finds it right away all the time. But when I go with her, we have trouble finding it. I don't know if I'm bad luck or what, but we will look and, and often we don't find it when I'm there. And I hate that. I hate looking for treasure and not finding it. But I, another thing I don't like very much is when we find it, I'm all excited. I open it up and there's a little army guy in there with the parachute. The little, I'm thinking, this is it? We looked all this time for this? This is worthless. Write your name here. Oh, that's cool. I'll write my name there. And then we, but I'll, but I'll go again. Now, I got discouraged because we weren't finding stuff. I mean, someone said they go out into nature and they look for the geocaches out there and because even if they don't find it, that's a waterfall. And I thought, well, that's cool. You could at least take a picture. Go in town. I don't want to take a picture of this dumb pole, but where's, where's the treasure, you know? Then I heard of a friend just recently who has a geocache near their house and they said, hey, come on out here. If you don't find it, I'll just show you where it is. <laughs> I told Karen, that's cool. We're going there because we, we know we're gonna score when we, when we go there. Now, here's the deal about treasure. I like easy and I like big. Make it easy for me to find and put something cool in there so it's worth it, you know? Now, I, I'm telling you today, I'm telling you easy and big. I'm telling you the greatest treasure of all is Jesus Christ. I'm telling you we can't keep it to ourselves. He is salvation. I'm telling you that there's so much on the line, lost for eternity, and the greatest love wants to rescue people from peril, not say that's cool if you wanna go there. And I'm telling you, you have to receive Jesus as the Savior he is the treasure, 1 John 5, 11, and this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. He's the pearl of great price. He's the one way. The Bible says there's no other way but that name given.
Acts 4.12, it's the name of Jesus Christ. Second thought today, from, coming from this chapter in Colossians, chapter one, question for you, is he the perfect example that you live to follow? You know, Christian means Christ-like. It means Christ-follower. From the video earlier, are we, are we trying to lead him or are we following him? Are we giving him every area of our lives? He shows us who God is and what God is like. That's what his life was about. Colossians 1.15 says this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. That's, that's kind of cool phrasing. I like that in the New Living Translation there. He's the visible image. That word visible in the Greek is, is the word icon. Does that sound familiar? For, for, uh, for, for your computer uh, home pages, you have icons that represent something, right? It's an image that represents something else. But this word icon goes a little deeper than what we know, though it's similar. The New Testament word is used as a term for a painting or a statue that represents the likeness of a person in that day, right? Because they didn't have pictures. So like a presidential painting, you know, they'd have a great painter come in and they'd paint famous people or people who could afford it. And then you'd have an image that was saved to know what that person looked like. And it might be a statue that they would create uh, in the likeness of. But there was a second meaning of the Greek word too. So it represented what the person looked like, and I, uh, the word icon. But it also, uh, the Greek word meant the manifestation of or the embodiment of. So when it says that Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God, it's saying that he looks like God, but Beyond that, he's actually the embodiment, the manifestation of God come to us here on this earth. It means this, Jesus Christ is the perfect, absolutely accurate image of God. John 10, 30, he said, the Father and I are one, Philippians 2, 6, who being in the very nature God, Here's the deal. Jesus was not only the exact image, he was God. He was the embodiment. The Trinity is, is really, the greatest theologians in the world call it the, the, the mystery. It's a great mystery. The three in one, the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, you say, how do you have three in one? I don't think there's any example in this world that can really capture it because he's God and he's, he's very different than man and human nature. But, but God is three in one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I, I guess uh, something that helps us a little bit is you think of an egg, it has a, a yolk, a, a shell, and um, what's the other one? White. A white, See? And, and, and really, you don't say, I want the white, the yolk, and, and uh, the shell for breakfast this morning, right? You say you want the egg. It's three elements, but it's all one. And that's a small thing, but, but the creator of the universe is, is kind of like that. It's three in one, and though we can't completely understand it, here's the deal. You must accept it, though you can't completely understand it by faith. It's obvious in the scriptures. And so Jesus wasn't like um, created. He was there in the beginning. He is the creator. And we'll see this as we go on further here in the word. But, but I like what it says in Hebrews 1.3. I love this wording. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation. 
Isn't that just cool? I like those words. He's the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus is the exact representation, the embodiment of God. He is God. And he's our example of how to live and what, not only what God looks like, but how to live and who God is, but how we should live. 1 John 2, 6 says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So we're following Jesus. No man or woman is the exact representation of God. Now I want to tell you something you probably know. But no matter who, if you put your trust in a man or a woman, no matter how godly they may be, they will disappoint you. Here's why. They're not the exact representation of God. There's only one who is that. It's Jesus. Now it's true that there are some who are a little closer to uh, what God looks like than others because they dig in and they go hard and they've been good examples and they've been faithful, but they're just men and women. So, so teens, give your parents a break. They're not perfect. Now, I'd like to think that I've been a pretty good example for my kids, but, but reality sometimes reveals otherwise. As I look at my life, I remember when uh, Aaron, who's 22 now, was just a little guy. He must have been five. He was riding in the back of the car, just he and I, going down the road. And I must have been oblivious. Some of you have heard me tell these stories before, but um, they're, they're, they're fun and it kind of works today for what we're talking about. But I must have been oblivious to what I was doing because I heard Aaron say from that back seat, Dad, how come you can pick your nose, but I can't pick mine? <laughs> and I said something like, oh, look, a horsey. You know, just kind of divert. Um, and then I, I remember another time, and Aaron, he could just talk when he was one year old. I mean, he just, you know, 14 months or so, he, he could just say a bunch of words. And we're driving down the road in the Salem area, coming back from a service that I preached somewhere, and there wasn't a car on the road, just a beautiful Sunday drive coming home. And Aaron sitting in this little car seat back there, just 14 months old or so, maybe a little older, he said, he said this, come on, lady. I looked over at Karen and she was going. And I was searching and scanning in my brain for a moment that Karen had said that in her life and I couldn't remember one. It had to be me. There, was even, there wasn't even a car on the road. And, and then just, just a couple years ago in high school, Candace is playing soccer out here in this field, which will be turfed. The, the green is coming next week. Isn't that cool? But she was running out there in the soccer field. And, and man, I, you know, one of my weaknesses, I've been way too competitive all my life. As a matter of fact, I don't play basketball anymore. And there's two reasons. Number one, I'm old and I could get hurt easily. Uh, not num number, number two, I can lose my witness out there. I'm just too competitive. So I just thought, I don't want to do it. But it'll show up at times. And I remember saying to Candace a couple years ago, go hard, go hard, come on, give it your all. And in the middle of the game, she stopped and turned and looked at me and she yelled in front of everyone, I am going hard, would you like to try this? <laughs> and I just kind of went, oh, yeah.
I am not the exact representation of God, for sure. I want to follow Jesus with all my heart. I think I'm still growing. Isn't that cool? It, you know, a cool thing is just to grow all your life. I'm going to tell you something I love about my 82-year-old dad. He grows every day in Jesus. That guy has never stopped growing. It is unbelievable to me. And he's an inspiration to me. I want to keep going and keep growing. I've done a few things right. I remember Aaron, when he was about a year and a half old, Darren Kaiser, Karen brought him out. Dusk was, uh, the sun was setting and, and, and I was working in the yard and Karen had little Aaron in her arms and she said, kiss him goodnight, he's going to bed. And so I gave him a kiss. I said, I love you, son. And he said to me, I love you too, hon. She's <laughs> like, what? He must have heard his dad saying that, you know? So I, I know there are a few things that they, but Jesus is the one we follow. With me, you get some good and some bad. Hopefully more good than bad, but with Jesus, you get perfect. I like what Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Here's our mission at Horizon Community Church. To encourage people to follow Jesus with their whole hearts. It's pretty simple, isn't it? That's it. That's what we are all about with every ministry that we have. Encouraging people to follow Jesus with their whole heart. He's our example. Are you trying to follow him? Are you giving him every area of your life? Which leads me, leads me rather to the third thought. Is Jesus supreme and over all of your life? That's a good question for each of us to ask. Examine your life, the Bible says, from time to time. Is there any area that you're holding back? You know, I can be going hard with Jesus and come to a place in my life where I can see that I'm resisting this one spot. Man, you'd think I'd know enough to figure it all out once and for all. But every now and then... I come to the realization, oh man, I'm resisting something here. And, and here's what I know. We, you can all, always trust Jesus. He always has your best interests in mind. But maybe like me, sometimes you have to say, Lord, I, I need to give that to you. I'm holding on too much to that. This isn't mine, it's yours. This is profound and maybe difficult to come to this place. But I'm not mine, I'm yours. Saying that to Jesus. Is he supreme over your whole life? Listen to what the word says about Jesus in Colossians 1.15. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. There's the word supreme. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. He's talking about Christ now. God. Jesus. He made these things, it says, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. 
and he holds all creation together, Christ is also the head of the church. It's no man, it's no denomination. Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, and here's the word again, supreme over all. It's a good question to ask ourselves. Is he supreme over all of my life? Over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. Another version there uses the word that I used earlier, preeminent. I'm not asking you if he's prominent in your life. That would mean he holds a great place of importance. Is he preeminent more important than anything? For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. It talks about creation here. And as we, as we think about, is this, is this someone I can really trust to put everything into his hands? Well, think of this as, as you ponder that question. Creation. Speaking of creator here. The sun, for example, has a diameter of 864,000 miles 100 times that of the earth's diameter. And according to this scientist, um, the sun could hold 1.3 million planets the size of the earth inside it. Pretty complex thought, isn't it? The star Betelgeuse I said that right, however, has a diameter of 100 million miles, which is larger than the Earth's orbit around the sun. It takes sunlight traveling 186,000 miles per second, about eight and a half minutes to reach the Earth. Yet the same light would take more than four years to reach the nearest star, which is Alpha Centauri some 24 trillion miles from the earth. I mean, this is mind-boggling. The galaxy to which our sun belongs, the Milky Way, contains hundreds of billions of stars. And astronomers, now catch this, this is the one that blew me away, estimate that there are millions or billions of galaxies. What? Hundreds of billions of stars in a galaxy and millions or billions of galaxies? Now, 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 all scientists, I mean, this, there's no one who would refute these thoughts as a scientist, so far anyway. What they see leads them to estimate the number of stars in the universe at 10 to the 25th power. That's 25 zeros behind 10. I, I know there's a lot of zeros in a million, but I don't, like six, I think, but I, I don't even know what 10 to the 25th power is. But it's roughly the number of the grains of the sands on all the, the world's beaches. And that's how many stars there are. The universe bears witness to the tremendous wisdom and knowledge of its creator. I'm going to tell you something. It takes a lot more faith to believe in the Big Bang theory than it does, I mean, that it just, all this complexity just popped into existence in, in an explosion. Come on, man. I mean, you, if, if I told you that there was a storm outside and a tornado took place and we had a bunch of junk out there and a whirlwind pulled some metal together and unbelievably that Yamaha keyboard popped out of there, <laughs> you'd say, you are an idiot. <laughs> that is not possible. And yet the complexity is a billion times more than that for the universe and you say it just happened? <laughs> 
come on. Takes a lot more faith to believe that stuff. I'm going to say my cuss word there, but I'm not going to say it. It's a C word. Someone's rebuked me and I need to be better. That's baloney. The universe bears witness to the tremendous wisdom and knowledge of its creator. Scientists now speak of the anthropic principle, which states that the universe appears to be carefully designed for the well-being of mankind. Huh. Scientists are coming to this conclusion because of the complexity. Did you know a change in the rate of the Earth's rotation around the sun or its axis would be catastrophic? The Earth would become either too hot or too cold to support life. If the moon were much nearer to the Earth, huge tides would inundate the continents. A change in the composition of the gases that make up our atmosphere would be fatal to all life on Earth. A slight change in the mass of the proton would result in the dissolution of the hydrogen atom. And that would result in the destruction of the universe because hydrogen is the dominant element. The testimony of nature to its creator is clear. It's only through willful unbelief that men reject it. Romans 1.20, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. John 1.3 says, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. He can help you in any area of your life because he's the creator of all things. The God who put this into existence, who spoke it, who created, is the God who wants to give you his power in your life. Colossians 1.17, the NIV says it a little different than the NLT that I read to you earlier. It says, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. If he can hold this universe together, I want to tell you something. He can help you hold your emotions together. He can hold your family together. He can hold your life together when things come crashing in around you. Will you let him be the Lord over all your life? All of life's important decisions. The direction. Will you seek him for it? Will you ask him? Karen and I, um, there was just some area in our life and our family that we just needed some clarity to. And so we, we decided to have a day of prayer and fasting. And that means that we didn't eat and we focused in on prayer. You see, why, why is the, the Bible talks about prayer and fasting. And I, I think the main purpose is when you let go of the physical things that draw you in like food, the spiritual things are easier to see sometimes. And when you focus in on prayer and you're asking the Lord to lead you, did you know that he wants to show you the direction in your life more than you want to know it? And so we prayed and fasted and honestly, we, we didn't know the direction, we didn't know what to do. And shortly after, the Lord led us to something that we, we weren't aware of. I don't want to tell you what this was all about. It's kind of personal. 
But I will tell you that we got some clarity and focus and we discovered something we didn't know. Because we went to the God, the creator of the universe who loves us, who knows all things and does all things well and who knows what direction he wants and he brought focus to us. And it's, it was cool. And I, I, I haven't always done that. But when I'm smart, I always do. Because when I submit it to him, the loving Savior comes alongside to show me the way that is best and good that he's planned. Will you submit the things of your life to him and follow him? As you look at Jesus as following him and Savior and all-powerful, You have to understand that he wasn't just a man. Jesus said that he was God. That's what he said. He only leaves us with two options. To accept him as God or to reject him, as Max Lucado says, reject him as a megalomaniac, which is a crazy person, a liar. So this business you hear these days where people would say, well, he was a great teacher or he had great influence, he did things well and I believe it's a good religion. Listen, you can't say he was a great teacher because he says that he was God. So if he says he was God and he's not and that's your judgment, then he's not a great teacher, he's a crazy man. Away with this business of he was a great teacher, but he wasn't God. It's silly. You have to decide. Is he God? Like he says he was. People try to create a third alternative, but there really isn't one. You either believe it or you don't. <clears throat> if I'm standing in a road and the road goes north and south... And you walk up to me and say, which way are you going? And I say, I'm going to go south. You say, what? I say, well, I've decided to go south. Well, you say, but you have to choose north or south. Okay, I, I think what I'll do is I'll go north. I'm going to go north. And you say, that's dumb. You can't go Swarth or now, you have to go north or south. There's only two decisions. You can't make stuff up. And that's the way it is with Jesus. You either believe it or you don't. You're either in or you're out. There's only two decisions. There's no other alternative. I like what Licato says when it comes to Christ. You can call him crazy or crown him as king, dismiss him as a fraud or declare him to be God. Walk away from him or bow down before him, but don't play games with him. Don't call him a great man. Don't list him among decent folk. Don't clump him with Moses, Elijah, Buddha, Joseph Smith, Muhammad, or Confucius. He didn't leave that option. He is either God or godless. Heaven sent or hell born. All hope or all hype, but nothing in between. 
I'm here to tell you from experience now, you've heard the word of God, the Holy Spirit's attending that message in the word I believe today, but I wanna tell you my story is there was a time, even though I was raised in a Christian home, that I was not bowing my knee to him as Lord. And I was messing up my life and other people's too. I went on a road without God for a season in my life as a young adult. And here's the deal. You can enjoy sin for a season, but in the end, destruction comes, the Bible says. You can get a little bit of pleasure now and a lot of pain. And then I made a decision that everything I'd heard, see, I knew. I mean, that's what's so sad about my story is I knew and said no to Jesus. But then I I came to a day after I messed up, got suspended from a Christian college. I came to a day where I decided, you know what? God doesn't have any grandkids, just kids. You can't live off someone else's experience if grandpa or dad or mom or, and it came down to me and God and north and south. And I said, Jesus, I want you because I want you. I want you to be my Lord. And I can tell you, because I, you know, you wouldn't think it, but I've gone both ways in my life. You come in here and you don't know Jesus and you think everybody here has always lived perfect. This is a bunch of sinners in this place, man, who've just made a ton of mistakes. But they're so happy because they've been forgiven. And he's helped us to go a different way and it's a lot safer and a lot better. And we're not prideful because we remember that we sinned against a holy God, but we also remember how amazing his grace is. I like to say we're just beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. He is God. On this new path, when I said yes to Jesus as Lord, I found joy and peace. And Jesus is walking with me. I like that song by Nicole Mullen. I don't remember the title, but there's a, there's a place in it where she said, I know he's real because I spoke to him just this morning. I just love that. Because this thing with Jesus is real. And you can get up in the day and in the morning and you can talk to him and he'll walk with you and he'll help you and he'll lead you. It's the best life on this earth. Doesn't mean there's no pain or sorrow because that happens to believers too. This isn't heaven. But it means you get help through all that and you avoid a lot of it that's not necessary. Can't avoid it all, but you avoid a lot that's not necessary when it comes to pain when you follow Jesus. And anything you go through that's hard, he'll bring some good out of it when you're following him. He is the way. I know it because the word says it, but the moment I reached my hand out, he took my hand and the flesh and blood Jesus lives in my heart. And he wants to live in yours too.